Hey, this is Pastor Bradley, and I want to welcome you to the Res Church podcast. Res Church is a place where people discover life through knowing and following Jesus. And so we hope that you will be blessed by this message. have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Thank you. And not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but it, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Morning, church. Everybody doing well? It's good to see you all. I, too, would like to welcome our visitors and guests that are with us. We're glad you're here. Um, This time of year, lots of people are sick aren't they? Um, how many of you, I'm just curious, how many of you have had the flu this season? Raise your hand. There's a few of you. How many of you know people that have had the flu? Yeah, a lot of you, right? How, how terrible is the flu? I mean, it's just awful. Um, a, a couple of years ago, uh, Mary was about to turn uh, this is bad. I didn't even think about this, telling her to age. Oh my goodness. A significant decade was about to be embarked upon. <laughs> did, I, did I handle that all right? Man, I need to think about that when I started writing this sermon. Um, she was about to have a birthday, and it was a special birthday, and so I wanted to do something special for her. And so I booked for her a passage to Waco, Texas. And you might be thinking to yourself, 
Who wants to go to Waco? Isn't that like where there was some guy named David Koresh that had a weird cult and whatever? No, Mary did not want to join a cult. But for those of you that know, Waco, Texas is the Disneyland for all things home decor. There is a couple there by the name of Chip and Joanna Gaines, and they have their uh, their business or whatever it's called, Magnolia. And so Mary had always wanted to go and see that. And so I booked her flight, and uh, she went with a couple of friends to Waco, Texas. And I think it was the day before she was supposed to leave, I got diagnosed with the flu. And I was starting to feel pretty terrible. And, of course, Mary... Uh, being the kind and gracious wife that she is, she said, I'm just not going to go. I'll stay home. I'll take care of you. And I was like, no, I feel fine. (laughs) Right? I didn't want her to miss out on this special treat. And so I I did everything I could to look like I felt better than I did and convince her to go. And sure enough, she went, right? And while she was there, we would talk on the phone and FaceTime. And in between those conversations, I was miserable. Miserable. I felt so terrible, but the phone would ring or the FaceTime would pop up and I would be like, I'm doing great, babe. You have fun, right? Because I didn't want her to feel guilty, okay? Now, here's a thought about that. Um, I was miserable. I did not have a terminal illness. I knew I would get better, but I can't tell you that during that week of sickness that I felt like I was abounding hope. You, you, you feel me on that? May the God of hope, verse 13, fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may, let's say it together, abound in hope. So Paul is praying to the God of hope that he would fill us with all joy and peace in believing So that by the power of his spirit, we might abound, that word means to exceed the measure of hope. Now, I got two questions about that. Here's question number one. Is that real or is that just Bible speak? Is that real? Like in the darkest moments of my life, when the diagnosis is terminal, when the business fails, when I'm served with divorce papers, in the darkest moments of my life, is that real? Can I feel such abounding, exceeding, overflowing hope that I'm able to endure, I'm able to have energy, I'm able to have patience and joy even in suffering? That's my first question. Here's my second. What's the connection in Romans 15, between our abounding in hope and the community that we live in with each other where we bear with and we, maybe in some cases, tolerate each other's weaknesses and failures. What's the connection between those two? Let's take question number two first. Why do I ask about the connection between our Christian community and our abounding hope in Christ? Here's why. Because Paul is still on the same flow of thought that he was in chapter 14. In your Bible, you realize that the chapter and verse designations were not added until much, much later. Paul did not write, when he got to chapter 15, verse 1, he didn't write a big 15 and then a little number 1. 
by verse 1. The fact the chapter designations were not added until the 13th century, and the verse designations that we have in our New Testament weren't added until the 16th century. I say that to say this. Those designations are not inspired, and they're not always helpful. Because sometimes they're in the wrong spot. Those designations are helpful in the sense that it helps us personally and corporately locate text in order to read. Here's my encouragement to you. When you read, use the chapter and verse designations to find where you want to get and then ignore them. Because they aren't always helpful in determining where arguments begin and end. And chapter 15 of Romans is a classic example of that. Remember what Paul was talking about in chapter 14. He instructed us that we should not allow strife and divisions to arise among us over debatable, non-essential issues. You remember that? He raised, gave us three examples. Food, drink, and days of worship. And that list was not exhaustive. All right? Those are just samples. So we could include things like entertainment, how we dress, hobbies, and so on. Paul says, don't let these kind of non-essential in one sense, trivial, debatable matters cause division and strife among you. And he says this. He says that in the body of Christ, there are going to be people who have strong convictions in these matters. And there are going to be others who feel tremendous liberty in the same matters. And he says, just don't let that cause division. He goes on to say that there are some in the body of Christ that he calls strong in the faith. Everybody say strong. Strong in the faith. Who are those people? I think if we read Romans 14 well, he's talking about people who realize that these kinds of matters in and of themselves are not morally or spiritually significant in and of themselves. And Paul calls those Christians strong in the faith. And then he says, but there are also those among us who are weak in the faith and those people are not settled about their convictions. They're unsure. They feel insecure. And sometimes they make big deals out of things that at the end of the day, again, in and of themselves, are not morally, spiritually significant. And Paul calls those Christians weak in the faith. And so what were his instructions to us in chapter 14? Let's go back and read it. Chapter 14, verse 20. He says, do not, for the sake of food, again, just as an example, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. In other words, Christians, prioritize your love for one another and the unity of the church over your food, drink, and days. Let me say it again. Prioritize your love for your brothers and sisters over your convictions or liberties about your food, drink, and days. When we welcome those into our fellowship who are weak, we are to prioritize their conscience over our liberty. You with, you with me? All right. So, continuing in that same flow of thought, we pick up in chapter 15. Let's read verse 1 and 2 again. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him 
up. Now, let me ask you a question. Where do you identify? With the strong or the weak? Perhaps there's some of you that you would be honest and say, you know, I, I think I might identify with the weak. Maybe you're a new Christian. Or maybe as time's gone on in your journey with Jesus, there are just convictions and different things that you're just not settled on. And maybe in those areas, you would say, yeah, I think I'm, I'm weak in those areas. But I would venture to say most of us in this room who are Christians default to identifying with the strong, right? I mean, there's something in all of us that goes, weak? No way. You know, for most of my life, I've considered myself to be an above-average athlete. Why's that funny? <laughs> I've never been the fastest or the strongest, and I'm certainly not the most agile or flexible. <laughs> Some people up here that know that's the case for sure. But you give me a ball and a goal or a ball and a bat, and you line me up against amateurs, mind you. My thought is always, I can win. It's rare that I go into some sort of competition, again, with people where it's fair, that I think I have no shot. All right? But oh, as time goes on. I came home the other night after playing tennis with some friends for a couple of hours. I got home. I took my shower. I sat on the couch next to Mary, and I said, Mary, I'm getting old. My body just doesn't do the things that it used to do. My mind is not as quick as it used to be when it comes to those sorts of things. And so I'm starting to feel this necessary aware, self-awareness come on me that I'm just not as strong as I once thought I was. You with me? It's not necessarily our first thought when we read a text like Romans 14 and 15 to go, I'm weak. I'm, I'm among the weak in faith. We would tend probably to go, I'm among the strong. And Paul identifies himself as among the strong. He says, we who are strong... Right? So he's identifying himself among the strong. And we would say, yeah, Paul should do that. I mean, it's the Apostle Paul for crying out loud. Certainly, he is strong in the faith, not weak in the faith. But let me remind you, this same Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations... A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he, it should leave. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then... I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I realize Paul's not on the same topic in 2 Corinthians 12 that he is in Romans 14 and 15. I would just simply point out to you it's the same Greek word for weak in both passages. 
It means infirmities. It could point to physical, spiritual, or mental weaknesses or failings. Now, I don't think that Paul was weak-minded or wishy-washy when it comes to non-essential, debatable matters that aren't morally and spiritually significant in and of themselves. I would not say that Paul was unsettled in those things. But I also don't think that Paul was so arrogant as to say, I'm without weaknesses. That apart from dependence on Christ for strength could become a hindrance and a stumbling block to others. I say all that to say this. If you identify among the strong, that's not sinful, that's not wrong. But don't, just be careful not to be so blinded as to fail to see we all have weaknesses. We all have inconsistencies in our preferences. We all have holes in our theology. We all have weaknesses in our thoughts about issues significant and relatively insignificant in terms of the kingdom. So let's make sure we understand first and foremost, the playing field is really level here. When it comes to me being in relationship with you as my brother and sister in Christ and you being in relationship with me, there are some areas I'm strong in, some areas you're strong in, and there's areas we're both weak in. And you know what we got to do? We got to find a way to get along. Because our unity is massive. Our community is massive. And I want to make the case that there is a strong connection between our community with each other and how we live that out and our hope in Christ. All right, let's pick it up again in verse 2, chapter 15. He says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So, fundamentally speaking, what's our obligation when it comes to the weaknesses we've all got? We are to forsake or deny ourselves immediate comfort and pleasure in order to build one another up. You with me on that? There's an there's a echo of Jesus' words here, isn't there? Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If the Christian life is marked by anything, it's marked by self-denial. You want to be great in the kingdom? Take the low seat. Become the servant of all. You want to find your life? Lose it. And how many of you would raise your hand and shout amen that that's really easy to do? It's not, is it? Self-denial is hard. We need endurance. We need encouragement. We need strength. We need energy. I don't naturally wake up on Sunday morning just energized and excited to come and deal with your weaknesses. But here's where we start to see the connection, okay, between our community and our hope in Christ. Because Paul says, 
in our efforts to deny ourselves in order to build up others in their weaknesses, we first must take our cues from Christ himself. Take our cues from Jesus. Who what? He didn't please himself. You kind of hear Philippians there, don't you? He gave up his divine privileges, made himself nothing, took on the form of a servant, became like us and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. You kind of hear the echo of that here. He didn't please himself. Instead, what did he do? And then Paul quotes from Psalm 69, verse 9. Let's read it again. At the end of verse 3, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Now, if you go back and read Psalm 69, it's a psalm of David. And David is wrecked in that psalm, to say the least. He is fielding attacks, insults, and lies being hurled at him from all directions, from people that he once considered like family. And he's wrecked. And Paul quotes verse 9 of that psalm as a prophetic pointer that Jesus, instead of pleasing himself, you remember when he was on the cross and all the insults were hurled at him? And what did he pray? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Instead of seeking to please himself, he bore our reproach. And Paul says, take your cues from Jesus when it comes to this self-denial within the Christian community in order to build each other up in our weaknesses. And then verse 4, let's read that again. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, of the scriptures, of the scriptures, we might have hope. This is Paul basically defending himself. I quoted Psalm 69.9, Romans. I quoted Psalm 69.9, Greer people. Because all of the scripture is written to give us encouragement, to build us up. In what? In hope. He's still on the same flow of thought. If I'm going to have energy to deny myself immediate pleasure, comfort, in order to build you up in your weaknesses and vice versa, I've got to have something anchoring my life that's bigger than me and bigger than you. And that something is my hope in Christ. So Paul's saying, take your cues from Jesus and realize that the scriptures are there to build you up in that hope, to point you to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, so that abounding in hope, we might have the strength to endure the kind of struggle and labor that we have with each other in the body of Christ. So whether it's sickness, whether it's job loss, whether it's divorce, death, or struggling together in our collective weaknesses in the Christian community, it is our hope in Christ that gives us endurance. And God's given us the scriptures to build us up in that hope. And that just leads Paul to break out into a prayer for his readers. Verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. We're still talking about community 
in accord with Jesus Christ, <coughs> excuse me, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So the connection, let's make sure we see it. The connection between our hope in Christ and our Christian community is that the hope we have in Christ is what gives us the necessary energy and endurance to deny ourselves for the sake of building one another up. And the hope we have in Christ, the hope we have in Christ is guarded, cultivated and guarded by the scriptures, by the power of God in the scriptures, and according to verse 13, the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's read verse 13 again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So we see the connection now. That was my second question. Here's back to my first question. Is that real? Does that work? It's not wrong to ask these kind of questions of the Bible when you read. Is this just church speak? Or is it possible, is it true, that in the darkest moments of my life, when I've been so wronged, when I didn't see that coming, all the rugs have been jerked out from underneath me, that I could abound in hope? Is that real? Is that possible? Here's another way to ask the question. How do I abound in hope in the darkest moments of my life? It's amazing to me how oblivious we can be at times. How we fail to connect the dots. And I, I include myself very much in that we. You know, I told you about Mary having the flu. Or me having the flu on her birthday. She's out of town. And while I'm there wallowing in my misery trying not to let her know how bad it was. So I wanted her to have a good time. There was a lot of people in my life that showed up and showed great care and concern for me. I got calls and texts. People prayed for me. Messages on Facebook. My mom came and got the kids. Drove back and forth from Simpsonville, getting them to and from school, helping them with homework, feeding them. People brought me soup, supplies that I needed. And you might hear that and you go, oh, well, that's nice. That's good. You might have had similar experiences. But see, this is where God in his infinite wisdom and power through the scriptures and by the spirit, he creates new categories of thought for the Christian for things that otherwise might seem small and normal. You know what those people did for me? They showed me mercy. They showed me mercy. When we think of mercy, a lot of times we attach some level of merit to it. I might do something kind for you. You might do something kind for me. I might forgive you. You might forgive me, I might serve you, I might be there for you in a time of need, and you might do the same for me. And our thought might be, genuinely, 
They really didn't have to do that. Dot, dot, dot. But I think, disagree with me if you want, I think in the back of our minds, maybe even subconsciously, what's on the other side of that dot, dot, dot is they didn't have to do that, but I'm worth it. I'm worth it. You know what's true about the mercy of God? You can't do that, can you? To behold the mercy of God is to behold the glory of God, not our merit. God is merciful for his glory. He is merciful to his people in Christ for his glory. And that's true mercy because it's not based on our worth at all. We don't receive the mercy of God. We don't sing about the mercy of God. We don't come to the Lord's table in communion and think, yeah, Jesus, I really appreciate this and I was worth it. Do we have value as human beings? Yes. I'm not saying that. Don't put words in my mouth in that way. But you know what a real true gospel understanding is of the mercy of God? Is that I in no way deserve it. I can't earn it. I don't have intrinsic value that merits it. God for his glory showed me mercy. Bradley, can you prove that? Yes. Verse 8. Chapter 15. I'm going to connect the dots. Christian community, our hope in Christ, how they're connected, and why that's huge for us in the darkest moments of our life. We're going to connect the dots right here. Watch this. Verse 8, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's talking about the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarch. So we know this from Old Testament history. God made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He made promises to those forefathers of the nation of Israel. And what Paul is saying is that in order to prove that God is truthful and that he does what he says and he always fulfills his promises, Christ came to the Jews. And he fulfilled all the messianic promises that were made to Israel. You tracking? But then he goes a little further, verse 9. And in order that the Gentiles, everybody say that's us, might glorify God for his mercy. Might glorify God for his mercy. I, I know I'm not a grammar expert, okay? Don't, don't quiz me on sentence structure and syntax too much. But just a simple reading of that text tells us, doesn't it? We Gentiles who have no claim of tradition, heritage, or lineage were shown mercy in Christ for the glory of God. So, we're here, Christ came, and we're celebrating the mercy of God. And Paul, the gospel that he preached, and he goes on in verses 9 to 12, really to just quote Old Testament text after Old Testament text to show that God's intention was always that through the Gentiles, 
Yes, the Jews have a specific role to play in redemptive history, but so do we. Because the gospel to the Gentiles shows both Jew and Gentile alike. Mercy, I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. I'm not worth it. But God, in, his, in order to put his glory on display, has shown me mercy in Christ. And in that is my hope. If his mercy is based on me, it's shaky ground. If his mercy is based on my merit... I, I could step in and out of merit in a matter of minutes. I can't earn the favor of God. I can't earn the mercy of God. Who has given gifts to God that he should be repaid? What is man that you are mindful of him? It's all over our Bibles. But Christ came to put the mercy of God on display for the glory of God. And so when we celebrate mercy in Christ, we are celebrating our hope in Christ and the fact that the love of Christ, nothing will be able to separate us from that love no matter what this world throws at us. No matter what kind of suffering I have to endure, no matter how hard it is for you to put up with me and me to put up with you. This is where it gets so sweet. Because you know what it's like, don't you? In those dark moments, you're just completely out of gas. No strength. You, you can't even find the strength to pick up your Bible and read it. Maybe you can't find the strength to put words together and pray. You can't find the strength to get together with your fellow believers at church. And in those dark moments, how are you going to abound in hope? How is the God of hope, by the power of his spirit, going to cause us to abound in hope? You know what I think at least one of the ways is? When you are sweating out a fever under your covers, or you're staring at your computer screen, dwelling on the pain in your marriage, or you're looking at your finances and going, I just don't even know how I'm going to make it. Or you think about what's going on with your children. And you're afraid that the decisions they're making are going to ruin their lives. Or you consider what's going on with your parents and you're so heartbroken by the decisions that they're making and how they've affected you. When you're in that space and a brother or sister shows up with a meal. When a brother or sister shows up and prays with you, cries with you, laughs with you. When a brother or sister shows up and there just aren't any words that could be said other than, I love you and I'm here. You know what God's doing in that moment? And if we're not living in the word and we're not depending on the spirit, we might miss it. And we might miss out on the joy we might miss out on the joy and peace in believing because when we depend on the word, it renews our minds, right? It renovates our thinking. And all of a sudden, we've got new categories of thought for these little things that would otherwise seem small and normal. A brother and sister showed up in my darkest hour and no, it didn't make me immediately feel better 
physically. When they brought me soup, the fever didn't go away. But you know what it could do? It could be a pointer back to mercy. I might could make a case that I'm worth it to those people for them to show me kindness in that way, to be there for me in my hardest moments. But I can't make a case like that for God. And when you show me mercy and I show you mercy and we live in Christian community together, I deal with your weaknesses and I set aside my own pleasure to build you up and you do the same for me. And we just round and round we go depending on the word and depending on the spirit. You know what happens? In the best and worst times of life, we abound in hope because of the mercy shown to us in Christ for the glory These little things matter. Don't ever think that they don't. Don't ever dumb down what God can do with just five loaves and two fish. Don't ever dumb down what he can do with just one encouraging word, one I love you, even when you don't have the words to make the pain go away. You don't have the money or the resources to meet the need fully. But you can show up in someone's life and be an agent of mercy that the Spirit can use coupled with the Word of God. This power, I'm going to talk more about this next week, this powerful trio of the Word of God, the Spirit of God in us, and our community with one another. It's powerful. The God of hope in his great power and might works in all three to build his church and to put his glory on display. When I, when I read this, this chapter, these verses, the word that comes to mind is provision. God's provision for my hope. I need his provision. I need him to provide that hope because this this kind of hope, my second question was, can I know it? Can I feel it? Can it impact what's going on in me and around me even in the darkest moments of life? And the truth is yes, because it's not just something that we read about and process cognitively. It's something that we taste and experience in the Christian community, in and through the word of God, and in and through the power of the Holy Spirit working in all of us. This is when, in those dark moments, praise team, you can come on. I heard, let me say this first. I heard it once said, the church is the hope of the world when it's working right. <laughs> we don't always work right, do we? I get frustrated with you. You get frustrated with me. I get so focused on my little world that I fail to pay attention to you. I fail to show up when the Lord might want to use me in your life to cause you to abound in hope when circumstances would say, you're going to do anything but abound in hope. But when the church is healthy, and it's maturing and growing, and we're not letting our petty differences get in the way, 
The Lord can do amazing things and cause us to abound in hope in some of the worst seasons of suffering and put his glory on display through some of the simple, small, and significant ways that we love each other. Jesus said, by this will all men know you're my disciples when you, say it, love one another. It's the mark of the church. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Part of me wants to. I don't know why we hide from each other so much. I get it. I guess I do understand why, but sometimes I wish we could get past ourselves, me included. Just be willing to bear our souls. But here's what I know. I know that if you just look around this room, there are people, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are not abounding in hope. They're going through some really, really, really difficult and painful stuff. And I wonder if we just paused and said, you know, how might God want to use me in someone else's life? As much as I would love to like have you raise your hand if you're going through a really dark time and then just let everybody else that's not going through a dark time just rally around you right here. You don't even get out the door before you get hugged and loved and provided for and supported and whatever. I realize that could be embarrassing, so I'm not gonna do it. But what I will say is this, is if we committed ourselves to prayer and we committed ourselves to the word, we listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit in us, he is more than capable. He raised Christ from the dead. So he's more than capable of connecting us with the people he wants to use us in their lives to cause them to abound in hope. All I'm asking is, open your mind and heart to how big it could be for someone, for you to just show up, just show up in their life, and be an agent of mercy, change everything so pray listen to the Lord we're going to sing about our hope in Christ right now we're going to sing about it and I would just encourage you to whisper a prayer to the Holy Spirit as you celebrate your hope in Christ maybe you're in the dark time and I would encourage you to sing and celebrate your hope in Christ that nothing's going to take that away from you if you're not in the dark time, as you sing about your hope in Christ, listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Pray and just say, God, put me in the right spot. Show me. I'm willing. I'm available. Show me how you want to use me in one of my brothers or sisters' lives to cause them to abound in hope. How many of you believe that's what he wants to do? Amen. Amen. Stand with me. Jesus, our hope is in you. You defeated death. The cross is victory. So that means that suffering, sickness, death, loss, pain, we're not threatened by any of those things. You're the God of hope. And I pray that you would cause your people 
to abound in all joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we may abound in hope and use us, use us in each other's lives to be agents of mercy so that even in those dark times, we would abound in hope. And I thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, work as we sing. Amen. We hope that the Lord has blessed you through today's message, and we would love to hear from you. Tell us how God is working in your life and how we can pray for you. You can also help us reach others by investing at resfaith.com give. Thanks again for joining us.